and Jamie asked for prayer for their business, some issues that have been going on, and just asked that the Lord would give them wisdom and direction. Father, I lift up these prayer requests that have come across, and just pray, God, that you would do a work, and that we would see your hand well evident in everyone's life. And so, Father, we know what you're able to do, and so, Lord, we seek you out on the behalf of our brothers and sisters, that you would be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as far as the Lord, and we've seen it the last couple of weeks and the last couple of chapters that we've been looking at it, he's spoken of the concept of the cross and also the apostles and ours and the reality of our own. In these lessons, he has given us these rich, rich pictures and we saw the transfiguration that Jesus said he's going to be crucified but he's going to be raised the last day. And the transfiguration shows us the reality of life after death. The Sadducees, one of the religious sects of that time, didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And so here's the proof of it. Also, we saw the reality of spiritual warfare. We saw the proper attitude of service. It's okay to want to be great in the kingdom of God, but you have to do it God's way. We saw the ultimate and the proper attitude of service, especially when it comes to marriage. We saw the proper consideration of others and self and that we are to come to the Lord as little children. The rich young ruler, a man who had everything that society values, but nothing that was really fulfilling in his life. We saw eternal rewards, heavenly greatness, and one last healing. Now as we enter into chapter 11, the lesson is going to change. It's now a week before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we're going to see is the final fulfillment of the scriptures through the picture of the Passover, that sacrificial lamb, that well where the blood of that lamb covered the people from the angel of death back in Exodus, and it's the lamb of God who covers us and washes our sins away. And now the Lord's lessons now turns to his disciples. And a lot of what they're going to learn is how they're going to conduct their ministries apart from Jesus' physical presence before them. And so the setting as we enter into chapter 11 is Jerusalem. At this time, it's the preparation for the Passover. It's about four to five days from the very first Palm Sunday. In Exodus chapter 12, it speaks of the Passover. Daniel chapter 9 tells us of the precise time that Jesus is to fulfill the Passover. And so mankind should have understood who that was that was entering into Jerusalem that day. It's what brought tears to the eyes of the Lord as he's seeing the people in the improper perspective that they had for Messiah understanding that these people that are so desperate for what they want could have had the peace that comes from God if they just would have received what the Lord was giving on God's terms. God's purpose and what he has been, what he has told them through the Passover and in Daniel is so that they would recognize Messiah all the way up from the promise of the seed in Genesis chapter 3 To that day, it's all been working towards that day that they would recognize Messiah when he came into the city. But more importantly, that they would recognize later on who it was who they hung upon the cross. In John chapter 12, verse 16, it says, His disciples 
did not understand these things, his triumphal entry at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. They remembered and they're seeing the reality of Jesus Christ being the fulfillment of Scripture. Now again, place yourself in the place of the apostles. This man, they've cast their lot with him, and now he's been crucified, but now he has come back to life. And now they're finally coming to an understanding of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're realizing the truthfulness of it. They're now able, and we see this in Acts chapter 1 in the Apostle Peter, they're able to go back to the Old Testament and see how Christ truly is the fulfillment of the Word of God. They're understanding now the magnitude of what God has done. And these are the men who are filled with the Spirit, and they go out for the purpose of making disciples, and they change the world. They not only change the world as it existed then, but they've changed the world throughout all of the ages. We've looked at this information before. We've been in the triumphal entry before, but it behooves us to revisit it. It's been estimated by the commentators that there were close to 2 million people in Jerusalem at this time because the, the Jewish man of military age was required to present himself during this time in Jerusalem. And so it's the Passover celebration, and now you have about 200, I'm sorry, 2 million men of military age. The tenth of the month is when the families would receive their lamb for the Passover sacrifice, which would occur on the fourteenth of the month. Again, you would have these lambs and you would receive yours, and the idea is is that you would develop a relationship with this animal, but on the fourth day, your sins would figuratively be passed to this animal, and this animal would be slain. And so... This is the day that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. So with two million people in the city, one lamb allowed to be offered for up to ten people, that means there's over 200,000 lambs that are being brought in. 200,000 lambs. Again, there's the temple area of Jerusalem. There's the Kidron Valley. And then there is the Mount of Olives. It goes up and then it crests, and then it goes down into the area, Bethlehem, where the lambs were kept, where they were raised and whatnot. So you would have over 200,000 lambs that were coming over that hill. And they weren't just lambs. They were lambs without, um, without any kind of imperfection. So you have this absolute purity coming over this hill, and in the midst of them is riding the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verses 1 through 6. Now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. And he said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a cold tide on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the cold tide to the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing, loosening the colt? And they spoke to them, just as Jesus has commanded. So they let them go. We've looked at this concept before as well. Jesus told them, Hey, if they say anything to you, tell them that the Lord has need. 
And again, there's this concept of the Lord making this determination of working in partnership with mankind. The Lord had need of worship tonight. So he fills people with the Spirit and gives them a calling and ability and brings them here. The Lord has need for children's ministry tonight. He lays it upon somebody's heart and has them come here. The Lord has need of hospitality, and so he raises up people for that purpose. God himself obviously could do a lot better than we do, but God has chosen to partner with us, and how much more so when it comes to the gospel. He could have written it in the sky. He could have implanted it into our heart. But God has need of you. And this is an important concept for this day. I'm going to reiterate this on Sunday because we're at a section of Scripture that we're going to be talking about politics very timely after our elections. I was just praying the Lord to the Lord even today you know, about the elections and how they went and the viewpoints of those who were elected in many different areas and how much more so in our state. And part of the problem is we've kind of got an improper perspective of who an elected official is. Now, again, we'll get into this on Sunday morning. But most of all, the elected official is put there by the hand of God. But what the elected official is not to be is, well, we're not, and the church has lost perspective of this. We feel that we can legislate the gospel, that we can find somebody who is of the word of God, of the word of God, put him in office, and everything's going to be good. But that's not what God desires. God does not want to legislate the gospel. He wants the church to preach the gospel. And so we look at somebody being elected and think, oh, we failed, or, you know, what's going to happen? Godlessness is going to reign. Godlessness is not going to reign. As long as the church is active in what it's supposed to do, it doesn't matter who is sitting in the White House. It doesn't matter who's sitting in the State House. It doesn't matter who our representatives are. Now, it's a sad state that some of the people that are elected and the things that they believe, because it is an expression of the heart of the people, but that shows us that our work is cut out for us. But with the church, we've gotten lazy. We think if we elect somebody who's godly and put them in office, and then, well, the gospel's going to go out, and we're not going to have to worry about it. But if you look at this book from cover to cover, that's not what God's plan is. God's plan is for us and our various relationships to go out and to preach the word of God. And if we're not preaching the word of God, it doesn't matter who's seated in office. God's plan is not coming to pass. And so just as God had need of this donkey, God has need of us. He's decided, he's made that determination to have that need. And if we be quiet, yeah, even the rocks will cry out. There's no doubt about that. But if we're not liking the situation of our society, if we're tired of mass murders, if we're tired of godless people that are governing the rules and the laws of the land, the only way it's ever going to change is for the gospel, gospel to be preached. Matter of fact, they even heard an elected official. It was our governor, who is a godless man. He even said that we have to get to the core of the problem. He's, he, no, he advocates gun control, but he set that aside. I was kind of surprised by this. And he said, we must get to the core of the problem. 
Well, the only way that we're going to get to the core of the problem is once again as the church, as it mobilizes and does what it is supposed to do. You cannot elect somebody. You cannot elect somebody to fulfill your commission. His commission comes from God to the church to preach the gospel, and that's what's going to change a society. There's never going to be an elected official that is going to change our society. And as far as our governor, if you don't like him, pray for him. Because you know what? Jesus Christ died on the cross for Gavin Newsom. Jesus Christ loves him. Jesus Christ wants to see him saved. And the only way that's going to happen is if the church preaches the gospel. God is able to reach his heart. The church, yes, we are to have an influence in society, but when the church turns political, what happens when the elections don't go your way? What happens if they do go your way and we put our guy in office and nothing changes? That's happened before as well. About 15, 18 years ago, we developed a, <clears throat> a terror alert warning system. Green meant there was a low risk of terror attack. If blue, there was a general risk of terror attack. If yellow, there was an elevated risk of terror attack. If orange, then a high risk of terror attack. If red, then a severe risk. Well, in Jerusalem, on this day, it would be conditioned red. There was a high risk, because again, there are these men of military age, and one of the important things, if you're getting an army together in order to attack an enemy, is to get them consolidated, to get them together in one spot so you're able to move as a unit. Well, to the Roman soldier, he would be of that mindset. He would have his eyes opened and his senses sharpened towards what's going out, <clears throat> what's going on. And then he's hearing of this triumphal entry. I don't know if they called it that then, as far as Jesus coming in. But they're well aware of what's going on. And here's this man who's been doing some amazing things. And these people are looking for their Messiah. And he's entering into town. So they're at least aware of that. Well, to the Roman, a conquering general who defeated at least an opposing army of 5,000 he would be able to have a triumph. He would be coming in riding on a white horse. He would be the conquering hero. Well, I would imagine the Romans, they were real concerned about this. And then all of a sudden, somebody would yell, here they come, and over the hills come all these lambs. Doesn't really start strike terror into anybody's heart. And then somebody would say, there he is, and there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, but as far as the Romans concerned, there's this solitary man sitting on a donkey. Again, not going to strike terror into anybody's heart. But we know that this conquering hero, this conquering hero is going to have apparent defeat upon the cross, but it is going to emerge more victorious than anybody ever has in all the annuals of history. Verses 9 through 11. And then those who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple 
So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And so a couple of things that are going on here. On the road, Jesus got a good view of the national state of Israel, and it had to be heartbroken. When they saw him, they were yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna can mean save now, but more than likely what they were yelling was restore now. We pointed this out before. Man had an improper perspective of who Messiah was. They thought that he's going to restore Israel back to its grandeur days of King David. They were going to be the military might in the area. They were going to be a powerful nation. But unfortunately, when that didn't happen, those who were crying out, restore now, will later be yelling out, crucify now. They wanted their own will, even above the will of God. In the temple, Jesus got a good view of the spiritual state of Israel. And once again, it broke his heart. Notice he did not react. He did not react right away, but he chose to sleep on it overnight. He didn't act out in the flesh. And as he went, and we'll see later on in verses 15 through 19, he cleansed the temple. He didn't do it in anger. This is something that he considered all night long. That his house, this house, the temple, was to be a house of prayer for all the nations, but instead it had become a den of thieves. Verses 12 through 14. Now the next day when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. A fig tree bearing leaves should be bearing its first fruit at this time. The tree was not doing what it was supposed to be doing. A fig tree in the New Testament is usually a picture of Israel or the church. One without fruit is not achieving its purpose. One that has leaves and no fruit, it looks really good, it looks really healthy, but it's not fulfilling its purpose. One that bears fruit is going to be one that people are able to come and partake of and be nourished and be strengthened. A leaf bearer looks really good, but is good for nothing. A fruit bearer, regardless of its looks, is profitable for all. Biblical fruit. Biblical fruit in the scriptures, we're told in Galatians 5.22, is love. Biblical fruit is the conversion of souls, Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Fruit is works of righteousness, Philippians 1.11. Fruit is our giving, Romans chapter 15, verse 28. And fruit is the praise of our lips, Hebrews 13.15. Therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. We need to consider us as individuals. Are we a people who bear fruit? Are we bearing fruit in our lives? Or are we just one of these trees? Looks really good. I have a plant in my office and I bragged about how good it looks. My wife the other day told me it's time to throw it away. It, the leaves, it's just not the leaves. They come up and they look so good and then they die right away. 
Matter of fact, they're coming up now and they're already half dead. And I can't figure it out. There's something wrong with this plant. And I'm not giving up. I'm not going to allow her to murder my plant. But I'm trying to bring it back into health so that we would be able to partake of the beauty of that plant. The church, church, again, just even as we looked at in the elections, if we're not doing what God has called us to do, then we're not bearing fruit. And if we're not bearing fruit, then others are not able to come and to partake of what it is that we have to offer. But as we are bearing fruit, then we're fulfilling the will of God in our lives. So because this tree looked really good, but did nothing of any benefit, it says here in verse 14, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. Then since it wasn't fulfilling its purpose, the Lord did what my wife encouraged me to do, which I probably will eventually do to my plant. Verse 15, so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Spiritual Israel. There was a specific order given when the plans were given to Moses concerning the layout of the tabernacle and later on of the temple. There were all of the furnishings and these furnishings and the laying out of them was to be a picture of heaven. But instead of being that picture of the dwelling place of God, it became a place of commerce for the greediness of mankind. And so, some very rich lessons. We're going to cut this study short tonight, because before I can not talk whatsoever. But just to consider these things. A triumphal entry of Christ. It was talked about in the scripture, and it came to pass. That should remind us that even as Christ was prophesied that he was going to come into Jerusalem, he's been prophesied that he's going to come again. We see the state of spiritual Israel, and it's not good. That place that is to be a house of prayer for all the nations has become a den of thieves. What are they stealing? It's not so much their money, but they're stealing their relationship away from God and the opportunity to worship a holy God. Is it going to be this way when Christ comes back? Yes, it's, it's going to be that way when Christ comes back. Far be it that it would be us, but there's going to be apostate church that exists there and a godless society, and it's going to be the same story. And we know, reading the book of Revelation, how that generation is truly going to be cursed. Well, the problem was God's people did not know God's word. And because God's people did not know God's word, hard times were on the horizon. And so how much more so today do we have responsibility as Jesus Christ truly has come that first time and has given us truth? How seriously are we? I'm talking to the people who are either watching this or or here tonight. How seriously are we taking these things? 
and that God has given us, and he's given us these things very directly. He's given us the proof of the past so that we would understand the truth of the future and that we would hold that dear to our hearts and the reality of our God does not change and the reality of the truthfulness of our God's word. And again, we would embrace these things and understand that, well, regardless of what everybody else is doing, I am to be found faithful in the sight of my God. Are you, have you been faithful in the sight of your God? Again, Israel, both politically and spiritually, has definitely gone astray to such a degree when Jesus was standing right before him, them, they did not recognize him for who he is. Can we go to that place? Can we backslide to such a situation when Christ, through his word, is presented before us and we don't recognize who he is? It's not going to be the fault of the politician. It's not going to be the fault of society. The responsibility, it lies before us. May we be found faithful. Father, once again, Lord, you, you cut tonight's study short, but Father, very precise. And I pray, Father, that each of us will consider these things, that, Lord, we would look deep within our hearts and search our souls, and, Lord, we would make the determination that, Father, we are centered upon your word. And if we are truly centered upon your word, I pray that we would be people who would share your word. And so, Father, I pray, just as surely, Lord, as man was told and you came the first time, we've been told and you are going to come the second time. And because of that, Father, I just pray that we would be diligent, bearing fruit, that, Lord, we would please you when you do come. So, Father, I just lift up those who have come out tonight. Pray that you would bless them. Pray that you would restore my voice. And pray, God, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. We all stand. We're going to be continuing on on Sunday morning, assuming I'm able to talk in First Peter, and we have a leadership meeting scheduled for evening, and uh, we'll have Sunday evening service as well. God bless you guys.
Let's go out and proclaim his name to everybody. Have a good rest of your week.